Hey everyone, this is Dave Dubow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in from lovely Thunder Bay, Ontario, we've got Megan Chomut. Megan, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have a chat with you. You know what? I'm excited to talk with you as well because you have a very, very interesting background in the fact that you are a real estate entrepreneur, hence why you're on the show. But you're also a financial planner and you're also a mom and you got, how many kids you got? How many Four. Kids? Four kids. Holy smokes. Sorry. You're a busy mom, entrepreneur, investor, the whole bit. And Megan, I, I have to admit something to you that you might not like. Uh-oh. And that is that I've had a good time over the years bashing financial planners mm-hmm. left, right, and center because I'm not a big fan of most of the stuff that they sell the general public. So the fact that you're a combination of a financial planner and you get it around real estate is fascinating to me because you're like one of the first ones I've met. (laughs) (laughs) So I apologize ahead of time if I, if I, if I jab at your industry a little bit. No, you go right ahead. I can take it. And I think that you, you're right in having concerns about the industry. I have them too. Well, believe it or not, way back when, when I first came back to Canada after living overseas for like 14 years, I went through all the courses and to become a financial planner. I, I didn't roar through with raging color, but I passed. I passed the, the, the financial planning course. I've got my little certificate somewhere. But when I got to the whole thing about mutual funds, because my brother had been a financial planner for many, many years. When I got to the whole thing about mutual funds, it's just like, eh, yeah, I don't, I'm not a big, I, I don't like this very much. I don't think I want to be selling these. And then real estate just kind of came along and seemed to make a lot more sense. So tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you, was it financial planning first, then real estate investing? What, what happened? And tell us a little bit about your background and how you discovered real estate. Yeah. So I, I've been in the finance industry since the very beginning of my career. So I went to university and I studied business and finance. And when I first got out of university, I actually went and worked overseas and I worked at the Royal Bank of Scotland. And that's kind of where it opened my eyes that I didn't want my clients to be other banks or institutions, which is what I was doing in Scotland. My clients were other branches. Mm -hmm. I wanted to work with people. I wanted to work with the same families, the same people and help them navigate the financial picture of their lives. So when I moved back home, I started doing the CFP thing. I got a job with a small boutique investment firm and I was actually on track for partnership. So I really enjoyed it. We had a a different model in terms of how the commissions were paid, but it was still very similar to you sell a mutual fund and you get a portion back. And as I was doing my own financial planning, I was like, how am I going to retire though? (laughs) So like you said, I live in Thunder Bay. It's very cold here. I, in retirement, wanted to be a snowbird. Uh So 
working at the financial institution, I didn't have a pension. So I had to create my own pension with tax-free savings and RSPs. And as I'm crunching the numbers, I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get there, especially with my partnership, you know, making that investment into the firm and, and acquiring that business? And I thought, there's got to be another way. And I mean, like most people, I have been watching, I'm going to date myself here, but I watched HGTV. I loved trading spaces and income property and all of those shows. And I thought that might be my missing piece. So when I had the idea, I actually went to the partners at the firm and I mentioned my plans and all of them told me it was a bad idea. Of course they did. Yeah. And they told me things like, it's very risky. Tenants are going to wreck your place. You know, they're not going to pay her you rent. It just doesn't make, it's not a good move for you. And I thought, oh, okay. You know, like I really value their opinion, but I did it anyways. And then when I ran into my first issue, I felt like I didn't have anybody to ask, which was my biggest problem. So that's kind of where I had to use my background in the finance space, but I also had to expand my resources and say, okay, who else can I ask? Who's 10 steps ahead of me? Because it was just, it was, it's a different piece that I really, it made sense numbers wise. If I could pay this place off by the time I retire, it will fund my snowbird goal. But to get there, I had to, I needed support. (laughs) So that's kind of where I was doing all the research into the real estate and actually why I started my own business because I needed a me. I needed somebody to say, when I got a phone call from a tenant or ran into an issue, my immediate instinct was, let's just sell it. (laughs) You know, it's such a headache. And the normal human mom, friend, landlord person in me was like, this is too much work. But then the CFP, the financial advisor in me was like, but the numbers make sense. So it's kind of blending those two things and saying, but why did you buy the property? And does it still meet that goal? So why would you sell it? Can you sell it and still meet that goal? If so, then maybe it does make sense to sell it. Because one of the things I didn't realize that HGTV doesn't show you is that when you are an income property owner, you have just purchased a part-time job, whether you have help or not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's kind of a little bit about my background. Well, that that is very, very cool. So Megan, where, tell me, how does your business work now? So you've branched out. Have you got your own financial planning company now? Yeah. So what I did when I, I, when I had my third baby, I realized I could, in terms of the balance of career life, my capacity for all those things, I just couldn't keep going in the same track I was going. So I started to look at my other options. So my practice actually is fee only. So all I do is the planning. I don't sell any products. I a hundred percent suggest like if somebody needs insurance or needs an accountant to review things a lawyer I absolutely recommend those things and I re- I'm happy to recommend people that I like and trust mm-hmm. 
but I don't get compensated in any way for that. So the, the clients that I'm working with can feel confident that all of my recommendations are in their best interest and not because I'm going to be compensated in some fashion for recommending something that may right. be. So, so just so people kind of understand the difference, how is the, the average or the typical financial planner compensated? So the way that I previously was compensated was something called an MER, which if you buy a mutual fund, there is this rate that you will be told when you purchase it called the MER. And that's how the advisors are paid. So for example, if you go onto your online banking and pick one of the investments in one of your RSPs or TFSAs, pick one of the mutual funds, you'll see the MER. Let's say for easy number's sake, it's 2%. So the idea there is when that mutual fund performs, let's say it gets 8% that year. Well, your account will actually grow by 6% because they're going to take their 2% first. Right. If, for example, they've gone negative, let's say it's a negative 4% rate of return for that year, your account will be negative 6% because they always pay themselves first. Right. And it's always that MER. So advisors... And I've heard Canada has the highest in the world. Yeah, and I'm finding that... A lot of my clients that when I'm reviewing some of their statements is they're paying these high rates with whatever institution they're with, but they're working with me. So why aren't they getting that? They're paying for that service anyways, that 2%. Even when I stopped working at the institution I was at, my let's say, for example, my MERs were 2%. They were all held there and I was getting service from my partners in terms of creating a financial plan, keeping me on track, giving me advice as they could. But even after I moved to my own practice, I wasn't getting any of the advice, but I was still paying thousands of dollars a year for what? Mm -hmm. So it'd be one thing if I was getting, you know, advice and accountability and direction and it was, they were helping me. <laughs> yeah, and great returns because that was the other thing is if they were reviewing my portfolio regularly, making sure that everything was in line, then I feel like I have no problem paying 2%. But if I'm not getting service, I'm not getting advice or accountability, then why pay the 2% if I don't have to? Yeah, makes sense. And that it sounds like such a small number, 2%. No, it's huge. It's, 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 it's huge. Like that could add up. Like for my, I'm a, just a normal family. I got kids. I got daycare bills. I got, my husband has a job. Like we're just a normal family, but I was paying thousands of dollars in fees. If I could have saved that, let's say it was $2,000. If I could have saved that, not had to pay it, it would have grown by every year. So every year would be a little bit, a little bit more. So it's, it's the number itself looks small, two percent, but it definitely adds up. Oh, it adds up huge. It, it's, huge. I've seen the graphs. I've seen how it works. You know, with the market going up and down, and it's it's never like this. And when it goes negative, you get whacked even more, and it takes a lot longer to recuperate. And yeah, anyhow, we won't go over on that. But interesting. So, so basically, right now you're a consultant. Yep. for lack of a better term. You're a financial consultant. 
you charge a fee, you mm -hmm. look over people's portfolios, you help them, you give them objective advice because you're not getting compensated by a back end on any mutual funds that you're selling them. So where do you, for the average person, what do you kind of suggest for them? Or that's a different question. Most of our viewers here are into real estate investing. So if you're a real estate entrepreneur, where would you say, or what would you say people should consider as additional or alternative investments in addition to their real estate investing portfolio? That's a good question. And I think it does depend on the structure of their family, their goals, also like the stage of life they're in, what's their age. But I see a lot of people underusing their tax-free savings accounts. And I think people don't understand that anything can go in those boxes. So a tax-free savings account is just a box. You can put whatever you want in it, whether it's just cash, just savings, Maybe you want to buy some stocks. Maybe you do want to buy some low-fee mutual funds. Index investing is really big right now. So it's just picking the account that services you best. And for real estate investors, I do think I would lean more towards tax-free savings accounts as opposed to RSPs because there are some strategies with using RSPs should you sell your rental property and trying to reduce the taxes there but it kind of I mean I'm so annoying when I say it depends but I do see that tax-free savings accounts are really underused and that misunderstanding that literally anything can go in them so are you are you a proponent now that you're in the in the fee-based side of the business are you a proponent of self-directed RSP accounts self-directed TFSA accounts are you encouraging people to do that kind of thing Honestly, most of the real estate investors that I work with are already set up with those. <laughs> I feel like as a real estate investor, there's almost this control hormone in us where that self-directed just came naturally. If you were offered the two options, you automatically picked it anyways. But then there's some that, you know, they prefer working with somebody or getting direction from some sort of advisor at the branch or whatever. So I personally use the self-directed, but it's kind of on your preference and your comfort level. So maybe starting without one. And then as you get more and more familiar with how it all works, moving over to one isn't, isn't a big deal. Fantastic. Megan, time flies when we're having fun. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to and, and the services that you provide, what should they do? Absolutely. I'm on every social media platform, Megan CFP. My favorite is Instagram. It's where I share all of my numbers. I do all the renovations. Well, not me personally, but me and my husband do all the renovations on our rentals. So I share all the numbers, what the before and afters and why we decided that that was a return on investment for our portfolio. Awesome. Very good. Megan, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, thanks, Dave. All right, everybody, take care, and we will talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book, 
right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.